0: Grace, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 6 today. And as you're making your way there, I want to let you know that there are two kinds of people here today. There are those who have turned from their sins and they're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, for everything. And there are those that aren't. And I'm going to be speaking specifically to those of you who have, who are disciples, those of you who are Christians, those of you who can say today, Jesus is my treasure, he's my everything in this life. But for those of you who are here who aren't Christians, I hope you listen in and you say, I want in on that. Because last week's sermon, we talked about God's love. How God is angry at sin. He's angry at sinners, wicked, evil people, which were all that way when we're born. And so God has a general love for those of his creation. He loves trees and sharks and he loves humanity in a general sense. But those of us who are in relationship with him, who've turned from our sins and trust in Jesus, God loves us with a special love. It's a covenant love. And so as you listen today, I hope every one of us can leave and say, I'm in covenant now in a relationship with the living God because of Jesus. So... Today, I'm going to try to comfort the hearts of believers. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for the cross. Mighty and wonderful and awesome, incredible, breathtaking. How flabbergasting it is that you would give your son and he would take the blame for rebels like us. He did nothing wrong. He was perfect. He never sinned, and he went to the cross for us, and we thank you for that. Would you send your spirit now to open our eyes to see wonderful truth out of your word? And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, as they hear the gospel, would you regenerate them by the power of the Holy Spirit that they could be adopted into the family of God and call you Father? So we ask you to do that today. Do what you do best today, Father. Save sinners. Save them from your coming wrath. And save them from themselves. Oh God, come and do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Disaster, disease, danger, and death are all around us. Just open up your newspaper or turn on the evening news. Or you can consult the system of 18,000 codes that hospitals and doctors use to describe the medical services and bills that they send to insurance companies. Apparently, 18,000 codes is not enough for administrators when they describe why a patient sees a doctor. So a new federally mandated version called ICD-10, the 10th revision of the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems. ICD-10 will expand the number of codes from 18,000 to 140,000 codes when it rolls out this October. They will add codes that describe precisely what the medical condition is and what caused it. There are codes for injuries in opera houses. There are codes for injuries in squash courts. There are codes for injuries in a chicken coop. W61.11XA is the code for injuries related to being bitten by parrots. So if you get bit by a parrot and you go to the hospital or your doctor and they treat you, then your doctor will let your insurance company know that W61.11XA was the reason for your visit. I guess just writing In the phrase, bit by parrot on a form is not satisfactory anymore. So they have to write in W61.11XA, which sounds like a robot from Star Wars, if you ask me. There are separate codes for being bitten by a turtle and being struck by a turtle. (laughs) Here's another one. R46.1, Bizarre Personal Appearance. Some of you may think that I have that. <laughs> but he dresses in black all the time. What's that about? In fact, at the church I pastored in Texas, there was a gentleman who would come up and shake my hand every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, and say, Looks like you're going to a funeral. And I would reply, Maybe I am. From the Johnny Cash movie, Walk the Line. So go ahead and email the elders. You can complain. Tell them that Pastor Benji suffers from R46.1. I've dealt with it my whole life. If you walk into a lamppost for the first time, the code is W22.02XA. If you are dumb or clumsy enough to walk into a lamppost for the second time, The code is W22.02xd, walked into a lamppost subsequent encounter. There are all kinds of codes for injuries received for sewing, ironing, crocheting, doing handcrafts. I don't think there's a code yet for injuries sustained while shopping, but perhaps it will make it in ICD version 11 should it come out. V91.07XA, burns due to water skis on fire. Well, guess what? There's also V91.07XD, burns due to water skis on fire, subsequent encounter. Listen, if your water skis catch on fire twice, somebody needs to buy you some cookies. Because that is a rough life. Though somewhat humorous, the truth is that disaster, disease, danger, and death is all around us. It's been that way since Genesis 3, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God and sinned in the Garden of Eden. And it was certainly true in David's day as well. David's prayer in Psalm 6 feels like he is praying the international statistical classification of diseases and related health problems for believers. David is under some serious stress here. He's plumb worn out. He's being disciplined by the Lord for some sin. He is exhausted and he's about to lose it. And David teaches us that no matter what is happening in our lives, We serve a God who loves us and loves to hear and respond to our prayers, even when we have blown it. Our big idea today is this. Never give up because God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Some of you may recognize part of our big idea. Part of it is a phrase that is repeated throughout the Jesus Storybook Bible, a kid's Bible, where scattered throughout both the Old and New Testament stories, it keeps saying and reminding us that God loves his people with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. I highly recommend this kid's Bible to you, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Every, team, every time I read it, I learn something new. I get dunked and immersed back down into the gospel once again. If you want your kids to know what the big idea of the Bible is, if you want to know the big picture of the Bible, I highly recommend picking up a copy of the Jesus storybook Bible. In Psalm 6, David is wrestling with God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And here's why. Psalm 6 is a lament psalm. David is in pain physically, emotionally, spiritually. He's suffering. He's at the end of his rope. He's being disciplined by the Lord for some sin in his life. But David will not give up because of who Yahweh is, the Lord. He will not give up even though he may be tempted to because David knows his God. He knows the character of the God he loves and serves. He will not give up, even though he's tempted to, because he knows God. He knows that God loves him with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Look at verses 1 through 3 and hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, O Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Yahweh, how long? David is obviously suffering, but we don't know why. We get no clues as to why he was being disciplined by Yahweh, but he is. So I picture him with bloodshot eyes, looking haggard, hair all messed up, scruffy beard. Well, just picture me, okay? Seriously, he's looking like he is paying the high cost of low living. And he really is. David is being disciplined by the Lord for some sin. And that's why he asked the Lord in verse 1 if he would taper his discipline. David is asking the Lord to be gracious to him, to ease up and give him some relief. And by asking the Lord to ease up, what David is doing is he is confessing his sin. He's praying like the tax collector in Luke 18. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now notice... Two words in verse 1, the words rebuke and discipline. These are words that are both used throughout the Old Testament for corrective and disciplinary actions that are taken in relationships, especially uh, like a father dealing with his son. In Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, these words are used. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 function like a commentary on David's situation. I can picture David laying in bed, covered in sweat, hair messed up, bloodshot eyes, pillows soaking wet from his tears, and he's wondering why all of this is happening to him he's wanting to scream out why how long lord which he does in verse 3 and we'll look at that in a moment but if david had access to the book of proverbs he didn't but if he had access to the book of proverbs he would find his answer in chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 yahweh loves you david he delights in you in love he is disciplining you therefore don't despise his discipline don't be weary because he loves you. David will appeal to that very love in a moment. But first, notice the toll that this is taking on him. He says, I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Everything within David is troubled. There's physical, emotional, spiritual distress. Everything hurts. David says, my bones are troubled and my soul is greatly troubled. The Hebrew word for troubled means terrified. David's bones are terrified. When's the last time you went to the doctor and he asked you what was wrong? And you said, hey, doc, my bones are terrified. Maybe there's a code for terrified bones in the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems. David's soul is terrified too. Everything about David hurts. Physically, he's sapped. Emotionally, he's empty. He's scared through and through. He has nothing left in his tank. The Lord is pruning him. His enemies are giving him grief. In fact, his enemies are most likely the tool that the Lord is using to discipline David. And David can't take it anymore. So he says in verse 3, But you, O Lord, how long? It's as if David drops off in mid-sentence. It's as if he was about to say, How long, O Yahweh, will you discipline me and let my enemies attack me and gloat over me? But he can't even get those words out. All he can muster up is how long? David's prayer is, exposes one of our many problems. And as broken, sinful people, I venture to guess that we have at least 140,000 problems, if not more. But David's prayer exposes one of our many problems. We often take issue with God's timing. We often take issue with, With God's timing. God's calendar. Does not sync up with our calendar. And we don't like it. There's a deadline God. How long come through for me. And there goes the deadline. For some reason. We truly haven't figured out. That God. Is not like us. He's not like us. And we don't like that. For some reason. We keep thinking that he's made of play-doh and if we can just get close enough to him then we can catch him and then we can mold him into the god that we want i have a feeling that we are more like aaron and the golden calf incident of exodus 32 than we may realize but the saddest part of all here It's not that David's deadline has come and gone. How long is this going to go, Lord? I thought it should have ended last week. That's not the saddest part. The saddest part is that David's fellowship and intimacy with the Lord has taken a hit. The friendship, the, the closeness, the intimacy is missing. Have you ever been there? Of course you have. We all have. And when you're in that place where you know that you have treasured things more than Jesus and you are experiencing the loving discipline of the Lord, thank God that David's story in Psalm 6 and your story doesn't end with verse 3. When you're in that place where you've treasured this world more than Jesus and you've walked in unrepentant, rebellious sin and God brings discipline in your life, Thank God that your story doesn't end with verse 3. There is always a verse 4. We don't deserve it, but there's always a verse 4 because God loves us so much. And because there's always a Psalm chapter 6 verse 4 just around the corner in your life, you should never give up. Because God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Verse 4 is always coming. Why? Why is there the hope of verse 4 when we drift from the Lord and experience His discipline? Because God loves you, and He can't keep Himself away from you. God loves you so much, He can't keep Himself away from you. He will not let your rebellion and your wayward heart go unchecked because he loves you too much. Therefore, he will discipline you to get your heart back. Because when he has captured your heart, you are where you are supposed to be enjoying him as your treasure. I guess I've hyped verse 4 enough, so we ought to take a look at it. David says in verses 4 and 5, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? The whole ground or basis or reason for David's plea for relief is bound up in Yahweh's steadfast love. This is the Hebrew word here that most of you know by now. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It's God's unwavering faithfulness to his people and to his promises. Hesed is translated here in the ESV as steadfast love. It's it's Yahweh's loyal covenant love the love that he has, the special love that he has for people who are in relationship are in covenant with him. And I think one of the best ways to translate hesed is this way. It's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. David wants Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, to save him because that's the kind of God Yahweh is. I love the way Dr. Alan Ross describes David's situation in Psalm 6. He says, The loyal love of the Lord is the reason he should be delivered. Not simply because he has a covenant that is characterized by God's faithful love to his people, but because the covenant promises of the Lord's loyal love would fall into disrepute if he did not demonstrate them by delivering the sufferer. David has no other basis on on which to make his appeal than God's faithful love. But he needs no other. God's faithful covenant love is sufficient. That is why it is at the heart of all his dealings with his people. Even when they are sinful and need discipline. God's steadfast love is all that David has. But it's all that David needs. And it is on the basis of Yahweh's character that David makes his appeal david's only hope is what he knows about god and it's our only hope what we know about god is our only hope and people think the doctrine of god studying the attributes of god is boring and irrelevant are you kidding me my prayer life my whole life is built on and empowered by the character of god because you don't know how sinful i am And the only reason I get up in the morning and talk to him is because I know what he has said about himself. He likes hanging out with sinners like me. Some of you wouldn't want to hang out with me if you got to know me. I'd get on your nerves and let you down. But God loves to be with me because he's that kind of God. The reason I pray, the reason David prayed, the reason any believer prays is because we believe what God has said about Himself in His Word. That's the only reason. It's this book. Now, notice the reason David gives for pleading for deliverance. Notice how he's trying to motivate God to answer his urgent requests. He says, "For in death there's no remembrance of you; in Sheol, who will give you praise?" Sheol is the Hebrew word that can refer to several things in the Old Testament. Sometimes when you read Sheol, it's referring to the grave. Sometimes Sheol is referring to death. Sometimes Sheol is referring to extreme danger. And sometimes Sheol is referring to hell, that place where uh, unbelieving, the unbelieving spirits of unbelieving men go to those who aren't in covenant, who aren't in relationship with the Lord. In Psalm 6 here, David is speaking about Sheol, He's talking about dying and leaving this earth. David does not want to die. He wants to live. David knows that he exists to ignite a passion in every person, including himself, to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. David would agree with our mission statement here at Grace. But if he dies, he will not be able to do ministry. He will not be able to lead the nation of Israel. He will not be able to keep declaring the praises of Yahweh on the earth. In other words, death will shut David up for good. So David is basically saying to the Lord, if you do not intervene, I will die. Lord, and if I die, I won't be alive on the earth to glorify you. I won't be able to join the congregation in seeing, you stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. I won't be able to sing. Your love never fails if I die, Lord. They don't sing that song in Sheol. They don't sing that song in the cemetery. David knows that the whole point of his existence is to glorify and to enjoy the Lord. If he dies, that ends at least David's doing that on the earth. Of course, David believes his spirit will go be with the Lord while his body decays in the ground. But David can't ignite a passion in every person to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything in heaven because they already do that in heaven. You don't ignite someone's passion to glorify the Lord and enjoy him in heaven because they see Jesus and man, they get to it. They sure don't do that in Sheol. They do that on the earth, which is why David is not ready to go. He wants to see more people come to faith in Yahweh as he lives to glorify Yahweh. And that's why David is trying to motivate the Lord here. He's saying, If I die, who's going to be vocal about you, Lord? You know I will. Lord, you know that I tell everyone about you. You can't let me die yet. People need to hear about you. And if you spare my life and give me relief from this situation, I'll get up, take a shower, get dressed, change the tear-soaked sheets on my bed, and I'll get out there in the world and start telling people how you rescued me once again. I'll tell everyone that I see about you. I have a feeling that God likes to hear and answer those kinds of prayers. We serve a God who says, cry me a river, then get up, change the sheets on your bed, and start telling people what I've done for you. In other words, never give up, because God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Never give up on God. Never give up on praying. Let the character of God, what you know of Jesus from the Bible, be the springboard that catapults you by the power of the Holy Spirit to pray faithful prayers like Psalm 6 And David's prayer is full of faith because of what he says in verses 6 through 7. Look, he says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all of my foes. David keeps praying and crying out to the Lord because he actually believes that Yahweh cares. That means he is praying faithfully, full of faith, because he assumes that the Lord actually cares and wants to listen to him. Someone might think, yeah, but doesn't the Lord already know this about David? I mean, doesn't Yahweh know that David's bedsheets are soaking wet because he's crying over his situation? Doesn't the Lord know how weak and exhausted David is? Yes, So why is David telling Yahweh all this stuff if he already knows it? The answer is that David assumes that the Lord actually cares. David assumes that his pain and sorrow and bloodshot eyes and soaking wet bed actually interests the Lord. David assumes that God cares and wants to hear and respond. David assumes correctly. Understand this, Grace. Your misery makes God's mercy manifest. Your misery arouses God's mercy. Your pain and your sorrow arouses God. It it piques his interest. God loves to listen to Every little heartbreak, every little detail about your grief. If you walk away today and you remember nothing from this sermon, please remember that God loves to listen to every single minute detail of your pain and your sorrow and your heartbreak. He hangs on every little word of yours when you pray. God does not treat his children's prayers the way we typically deal with some user agreement on our computers. Do any of you read all of the iTunes user agreement in terms and conditions when it updates? No, you don't. You just lie like the rest of us and you click. I acknowledge that I have read and understand and you move on. Sinners. Sinners. Liars, I'm in good company. God doesn't do that with your prayers. He listens and he reads every little detail, every paragraph, every sentence, every word, every subject, every verb, every direct object. And he even listens when you're sobbing like a baby And your pillow is soaked from your tears and it's covered with your snot. He listens and understands when you are crying and praying like David in verses 6 through 7. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears, I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. The Lord loves to look down and see his children. Midnight frumpled, mad scientist hair, bloodshot eyes, snot coming out of your nose, bed sheets soaked with tears. But David's enemies, however, are not as sympathetic as Yahweh is. Look at verses 8 through 10. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. I picture David crying a river to the Lord and his enemies come along and say, What's the matter, David? Did Yahweh block your number? Is he not returning your call? What's the matter, little crybaby? To which David replies that the Lord has heard and accepted his cry. Yahweh not only hears our prayers, he accepts them. Proverbs 15.8 was true of David's prayers, and it's true for ours as well. The prayer of the upright Pleases him. It pleases God. It brings him pleasure. It delights him. It thrills his heart when his children cry out to him. What a God that we serve, Grace. He listens, He cares, and He responds to our prayers. But even better, it actually brings Him pleasure. He loves it. We don't like to pray that much, do we? But God loves it he loves it when we cry a river and have to change the bed sheets God loves it when his children come to him with bloodshot eyes tears running down their cheeks not oozing out of their nose and they they pray almost unintelligibly, turn oh lord deliver my life save me for the sake of your steadfast love and that's how I picture David praying verse four and God loves it and that's why David can tell his enemies to get lost His enemies will turn back with their tail between their legs because Yahweh will answer. His enemies will be greatly troubled because they don't know something about Yahweh. Yahweh gets a kick out of his people's prayers. There is no God in the ancient Near East like the Lord, and there's no God like him today. Our God enjoys listening to and answering our prayers. Even when we go into our prayer closets and we mumble and speak crybaby and we have to wipe our snotty nose on our sleeves because we don't have a Kleenex handy. And why not? This is how Jesus rolls, if you will. This is what he is like. David cries out with tears just like the other David that the Old Testament prophets constantly spoke of. And that's Jesus. The Old Testament prophets are always saying God's going to raise up David, not King David who was married to Bathsheba, the King David par excellence, Jesus Christ, the King of kings. And David cries out with tears, just like the other David, Jesus, which the writer of Hebrews talks about in chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries. In tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus knew that he could go to his father in prayer and cry his eyes out. David knew that he could go to the Lord and cry his eyes out. And we too can go to God the father in prayer and cry our eyes out because of Jesus. We have access to a holy God the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, because of the Son of God, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus is proof that God loves sinners with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And this table and these elements, the bread and the cup, are proof that God loves us. The Lord's Supper is proof that the triune God loves to be with sinners. He can't keep away from sinners. He loves them so much. He loves being around them, which is why Puritan John Owen said, the thoughts of communion with the saints were the joy of his heart for eternity. Go, 10 million years back into eternity past. And you see God saying, I can't wait to spend time with sinners. Those elect people that I will give to my son Jesus. He will hold them in his hand. I will hold them in my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I can't wait to spend time with them. This has been the joy of his heart for eternity. To be with sinners like you and like me. Think about what you did last week. You would be embarrassed if we put it up on the screen. I would be embarrassed. And God loves to be with us because of Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are so impressive to God that he says, I accept that on behalf of sinners who turn to me. And therefore, he loves to be with us. That's the gospel. And the gospel teaches us to never give up. Because God loves sinners with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The gospel also teaches us that we serve a God who says, Cry me a river and then change your bedsheets. Let's cry out to Him in prayer right now and prepare our hearts to eat and drink the Lord's Supper. I have a feeling. That He's about to get pleasure as we pray. I have a feeling that we're about to delight his heart once again as we pray. I have a feeling that he's going to listen to every word, every syllable, every verb, every moan and groan, and he won't tune us out. I have a feeling that we should never give up praying Because God loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And when you're dealing with a God like that, doesn't it make you want to pray? It does me. Let's bring him pleasure once again. Heavenly Father, there's no one like you. You're incredible. Your son's life, death, and resurrection must be so incredibly satisfying to you that you would want to spend time with people like us. It is truly flabbergasting, God. I can't comprehend it. I can't wrap my mind around it. I can't believe it's true, but I do believe It's incredible that you would love sinners so much. that You would send your son to satisfy your justice, to appease your anger, and then to bring them into your presence as adopted children to be with you forever. We are overwhelmed. We do pause as we begin to eat and drink because we know we're sinners, God. We don't have to be convinced of that, God. Our hearts condemn us always. We have treasured so many things above you, above Jesus. We've treasured cars, jobs, money. We've treasured clean houses and what our neighbors think of us and what a coworker thinks of us. We've treasured silly things compared to you. And we ask you, To do what you do best, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? And as we eat and drink, would you empower us with the gospel? Would you give us strength for the journey that we may go out into the world and say, let me tell you what my God has done for me. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.